Hi, this is Simona Di Silvestro, and you're listening to More Front Wing. Hello and welcome to another More Front Wing podcast. I'm Steph Wallcraft, joined by my co-editor Paul Dalby, and we're also very pleased to speak with Scott Dixon of Target Chip Ganassi Racing a little bit later on in the show and get his uh, impressions of the incident that we are no doubt going to discuss right off the top uh, that sort of colored the entire uh, race and weekend at uh, the uh, GoPro Grand Prix of Sonoma and uh, get his impressions of uh, everything that he's heard and seen in the aftermath of the incident and where he currently stands on that and how he plans to approach the rest of his season. Very interesting stuff. So um, let's jump right into it and, uh, and sort of review the entire weekend at the GoPro Grand Prix of Sonoma. Not really the Snornoma that we've come to get to used to, is it? <laughs> Looked more like Toronto in a lot of this time. It was a lot, of, a lot of chrome horn on this weekend. Yeah, really bizarre. Um, so I think we've we, we kind of don't really have very many more ways to cover this pit lane penalty. I think everybody has sort of seen everything that they're going to see and has formulated the opinion that they're going to formulate at this point. Um, Paul, you had your call that went up on morefrontwing.com on Tuesday, um, and that seems to be pretty well received by fans. We've also heard from Tim Sindrick and Mike Hull and um, – Will later on in the show, as I mentioned here, from Scott Dixon, and we heard from Dario Franchitti in the post race, and uh, so we all sort of know their side. And there was, of course, the the uh, very long article on uh, Racer.com from Marshall Pruitt as well, where he um, went tit for tat with Bo Barfield and uh, um, expressed pretty clearly his opinion on the situation at that time. Um, I guess where I stand on it is um, I'm very glad to see Bo standing his ground. And I'm glad to see that the main justification for this for the ruling remains being following the the, the rule of the the uh, letter of the rule book as closely as as possible and as can be expected in the situation because I think that's sort of the way that officiating is meant to be. Um, we're going to hear from Scott later on that he feels that there were exceptions in this incident that should have been factored in, but um, I do like that that Bo was explicit about. Um, being particular about about the fact that certain exceptions are not considered to be acceptable um, in his decision making, including where the driver affected is uh, is running in the race and in the championship, and I uh, I had respect for that. So um, my can, my opinion continues to line up with yours. I think Bode made the right call, um, but a lot of people who know a lot more about racing than me seem to disagree. So. I'm keeping that that in mind as well as I continue to assert my opinion. What do you think? Well, as I pointed out in in my article, I think there was a clear violation here. Um, you know, from the the shots that show not the NASCAR pit stalls, but the the shots that are um, overlaid, if you will, with where the IndyCar pit stalls are. You can see that Scott wasn't wasn't just a little bit into Will's into Will's pit box. He was the full car width into his pit box. Um, I mean, he was so far into the pit box that I just don't think that the tire changer really had anywhere to go. It wasn't like he was two arm lengths away from the car. Uh, he had done what he had always done. He had proceeded in the way he had always proceeded. And in this circumstance, it just happened to be that Scott and him ended up in the same in the, in the same location. And that responsibility, whether you're talking about pit road and indie car race, or you're talking about, um, you know, just driving your car down the road and a pedestrian's there. The responsibility falls on the driver, um, and it needs to be that way in this situation. Um, I don't. I, I keep hearing the target guys say that, you know, that, that Travis Travis uh, Low there was. I think that was his name. Travis uh, Law. Law. Thank you. And I didn't think Low sounded right. Travis Law was walking at the car. Well, you would you would think that that would be him, you know, screaming with his hands above his head, you know, saying, get out of my way or something like that. <laughs> you know, he was moving around the backside of Will Power's car. He wasn't making that, at least in my opinion or what I've seen, it wasn't him making a blatant attempt to, to try to force Scott to, to either come to a stop or take complete evasive action. 
I've seen some other pictures from earlier in the race where uh, I, I think it was the pit stop before that Will and Scott had pitted previously. And when you watch that exit of Dixon, he clearly is out into the pit lane um, prior to where that white line, that NASCAR line, hits. So it wasn't as if he hadn't been able to get into the into the exit lane previously. In this situation, he just didn't, and you know the the circumstances were such that he ended up hitting a crew member, or in this case, I guess he hit the tire. Um, you know, kind of ignored in that whole fact is he also hit the the air hose as well. That's what I was about to say. Is that this really comes down to two things for me? One is that he hit the air hose, and so take everything else and toss it aside, and he's getting a penalty anyway. Right. And and number two is that if you want to argue that that Penske acted in an unsportsmanlike way, or or um, that one crew member did, excuse me, and um, and you want to try to counter penalize him. There's no action present in the rule book to allow for that. So you're kind of stuck with exactly the way that things turned out anyway. And we've had situations in the past where um, pit equipment has been hit on pit road and it's been hit by drivers who have been close to or in the lead and um, race directors have, have said, you know, because of the the driver's position in the race or in the championship at, at the time, uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna issue a penalty because we don't we think that that it's too stiff of a of a penalty for for what's happened, and I'm heartened to see that that type of thing is not happening now. You hit yeah. something, you get a penalty. No, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're running. That's just the way it is, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, and and if I recall, I don't remember the race, but it happened last year. Didn't Dario hit some pit equipment in a race and was not penalized for it? It seemed. I'm like trying he, to think of when it was that happened because I I do specifically recall something like this. But he, he my feeling was that it might have been a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Oh, it, it very well could be. I've reached. I think that it was a couple of years ago. <laughs> years go by much faster than they used to. But yeah, I, I I know Dario at some race, and I I can't for the life of me recall where it was. Um, he hit a tire on pit road. It was another yeah. team's tire. It seems like it was at a it was at an oval race. Yeah, I yeah, I would, Milwaukee. I, I, that might be right. A short oval seems about right. And it yeah. seems like he was his penalty was waived, and I don't remember what the justification was for it. But I remember at that time a lot of people said, you know, why. Why exactly. he hit? He hit. He, he hit, hit something. He needs to be penalized. That's because that's what it says in the rule book, and the rule book is very clear. And nothing else really enters into it, as far as as I'm concerned. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna give you this Dixon interview shortly. I promise. But mm. Dixon gets into the fact that you know the pit boxes aren't clearly demarked, and and there's a certain courtesy in allowing other teams to use the corners of the pit box, and yada yada yada. None of that matters. You hit the you hit the hose. And I mean, you hit the tire, and the, the crew guy went flying. But but if you want to even take that out of the equation, then you hit the hose and you get the penalty, and that's how it, that's really how it shakes down. But let's stop talking about this ourselves, and let Scott Dixon have the last word because um, he was the one who was actually in in charge when all of this went down, and so he knows better than us what happened. Um, so it was really uh, excellent of Scott Dixon to give us a few minutes of his time um, with. Um, just just to go over his view of the incident and what he thinks the factored in and uh, he had some some not so kind words for uh, IndyCar's race director as well so let's give that a listen so before we get into sort of the nitty-gritty of the weekend I want to offer you some condolences because I understand it's been a very difficult week for for you and your family on the personal side of things and in a way that probably seems a lot more important than everything that's going on in the racing world right now so so, uh, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course, put things in perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, of course, we're here to talk about the weekend, so no doubt you've seen all of the um, discussion that's emerged since your comments on NBC Sports Network after the race. Has your position changed in light of any of the information that's come out since then? Um, I, You know, the only, the the wording that I used, you know, I definitely uh, am not proud of that and should have, you know, it's, it's hard in the, the heat at the moment, and, and, and you know, within a few seconds of getting out of the car, we're obviously pretty angry. So, um, you know, I definitely take uh, some of some of the wordage I used. Um, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, still looking at it, there's there's two sides to the story, and and you know, I 
you know, there's there's blame uh, on both sides, um, and yet I get the grunt of the penalty. Um, so you know, it's, it's it's still tough to swallow. I think you know there's going to be some changes, uh, you know, throughout um, throughout this year and into next. You know, trying to make it uh, you know safer. The last thing we do want to have happen is is you know people getting injured, and, and we don't want people getting run over. Um, and I was you know. Uh, extremely glad that that uh, everybody was okay. Um, but I think you know what happened could have you know definitely been avoided. Um, you know, had had there been uh, you know people being more aware of their surroundings. Right. So just to clarify, then you are of the position that there should have been a counter penalty, or that there should have been no penalty on either side. You know, it's hard. It's hard to know. Um, you know, I think if, if if it had been reviewed after the race, you know, penalty uh, or a possible penalty inflicted after the race, I think it would have been, um, you know, slightly different. I know, you know, it's hard for, for race control with the rule and how it's written in the rule book. Um, you know, which would have been Penske's defence is that you know, sort of any, uh, you know, um, equipment being you know hit, um, you know, clarifies for a drive-through. Um, but I think this was a different situation. You know, when I set my initial line of sight and started driving out of the pits, there was nothing in my line of sight and nothing in, in my uh, trajectory uh, that was altered by somebody moving towards that. Um, you know, and they go on about the pit boxes. There's no defined pit boxes. Um, there's no lines. Um, everybody, uh, as a courtesy, uses, uh, you know, the corners of the pit boxes to enter and exit. Uh, as you can see clearly in any video or any pit stop, um, you know that that's just that's common courtesy and and typically there's you know common etiquette from from people trying to avoid situations like this and and, and in some areas I don't think that was applied. Right. Um, so in terms of the uh, the lack of courtesy that that you and uh, Dario made comments to that effect as well that that was uh, that you feel it was displayed in the pit lane is that something that can and should be policed in your opinion and is there really any way to do that? Um, I think uh, I think it you know whether it can or not is is not something that that uh, you know something that you know I can't really comment because you know I don't know where IndyCar are going with with it. Um, I know they will try to um, you know as as the rulebook states, it's really only a driver that can be inflicted any kind of penalty. Um, it says nothing about a crew member. Um, whereas we all you know in in the heart of the sport, you, you well know that that. Uh, you know, your neighbours in pit lane can make your life uh, extremely difficult um, through pit stops and the way that they sequence it or how they stop the car in front of you, you know, which in, in that instance, you know, power's car was stopped a little short and with the back tyre kicked out, which made that corner of the box even more crowded. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's something that I hope, you know, hopefully we will all learn from and, and something they can evaluate and, and uh, you know, maybe... In due course, it won't uh, you know, have the indications, um, you know, maybe like it has at this time. Right. Um, earlier this year in Brazil, we saw Takuma Sato get away with no penalty for, for uh, what was considered by many to be fairly blatant blocking. Uh, and then we come to full circle to Sonoma last weekend where there were five avoidable contact penalties. Um, your teammate mentioned in the post-race uh, that he feels pretty blatantly that there's a lack of clarity of the rules um, at the moment. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, it is, you know, and, and even uh, after my penalty starting in the back, you know, seeing how, you know, some of the restarts were jumped and, and you know, lack of courtesy between drivers, you know, who is who is mayhem back there. You know, I know it's hard for them to focus on on, uh, on everything, but, you know, I think that's that's where we go back to this whole whole way it's approached is that, you know, maybe sometimes, uh, you know, there's a reason why it, you know, you get results and, and, you know, final being pending. So, you know, they can go back and look at all the video that they have, um, you know, whether all the cars need actually a camera applied to the car uh, to make things, you know, easier for them. Um, you know, in the future, I think we'd be a good reference. Many series around the world, you know, whether it's uh, GP2 or, you know, V8 supercars have a camera in every car so you can, you know, look at these things with detail and, and try and get consistency. You know, for us, that's the biggest problem. You know, if... You know, my situation up there's a corner of the box, that's the box you're allowed in, then you know, that's 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 clear as day. Um if you can't block then you can't block. If you know, there's so many the problem with race car drivers and racing in general is that everybody involved is trying to find the quickest way around and trying to find, you know, the, the best way to achieve that. Um and slightly bending the rules sometimes in in that case. So, you know, I think a lot of things need clarity. Um 
you know, I know Derek's pushing hard for this and, and you know, he's working extremely hard and, and I think he's, you know, definitely the right person for the job. Um, you know, does it just mean that it's going to take a little while for, for you know, his, his ways to, to sort of come down and, and uh, you know, be uh, you know, able to afford uh, those? But in these sort of late days of uh, of the Brian Barnhart era, we were hearing a lot about how uh, the drivers felt that they were unheard by the administration and that w- they were starting to go to the media um, to, to try to affect some change. In the early days of uh, Bo Barfield, we weren't hearing much about him, and now we're starting to hear more and more. Do you feel like it's a it's the same sort of process that, that's taking place here, or, or do you disagree with that? Um. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure what you mean by the question. Um, you know, I'll, I'll answer it how I you know, think uh, I think you're intending. But, but um, you know, I think that that job is it's kind of a thankless job. Um, it's very difficult. You know, you you've got you know many people trying to uh, win races and and not do everything they can to achieve that. But you know, they may twist things a little bit. And it's very hard to have accurate, you know, even with the current rule book, it's it's very hard to have accurate sort of calls on on some of the instances. Um, personally, I think that person should not be in the spotlight at all. Um, you know, uh, I think that that person should, you know, almost, uh, you know, should not remain anonymous, but you know, should be very quiet. You know, I don't think you see too many other people in, in big series, whether it's NASCAR or Formula One, be you know interviewed or outspoken about it or anything like that. That's you know, one, it lacks class, and and you know they're meant to be leading the series. Uh, yes, drivers will, you know, of of <clears throat> you know come to that that situation that you know when you get out of the car and and you get mic thrown in your face. You know, sometimes you're going to regret things that you say, and that's that's kind of part of you know what we have to deal with. But you know, they're able to not do that, and and rightfully, I don't think they should be in the spotlight. Right. So looking ahead now to uh, your situation in the championship, being a professional racer, how do you sort of shake off all of the, the negativity and, and the situation that you may have uh, been put in unfairly on the weekend and uh, refocus yourself on, on getting your title? Um, you know, I, I you know I think uh, most of us in the sport are pretty good about that. Um, you can't dwell on it. You know, it's not going to change anything or make anything better. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I just hope that we can learn from instances like this, whether it's, you know, making things safer, but also, uh, you know, having clarity to, to rules that, that sometimes, you know, there's none there. Um, you know, for us, we we're going to go into <clears throat> every weekend like we do and, and, and try and win and try and have the, the best result as possible. Um, you know, it's a shame that we, you know, I think we were within four points, um, you know, if the championship had finished like it was before the pit stop. Um, which could have changed, you know, later um, after 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 that stuff. Anyway, with, with the racing, you know, it was great racing at Sonoma, which was was good. So, um, you know, for for us, we just tried to to, to go on, and and uh, 39 points is is you know it's, it's a bit of a deficit. That four races, you know, what there's 210 points or eight points on the table uh, to achieve and 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 overcome that. And you know, I think even last year, I think Ryan was probably what 30 something odd points out with two races to go. So. Uh, you know, it's definitely uh, possible for a big swing, and, and um, you know, the championship's still wide open. You know, between Elio and myself, uh, you know, Ryan Hunter Ray, and, and even Marco's come into a good fighting position right now as well. So, if um, if at the end of the year you don't come away with the title, is this your moment that you look back on that the, the season got away, or uh, is there is, is there another moment or two through the year that sort of stand out to you, or do you just not look at it that way? Uh, unfortunately, I think in the in the business you look at the negativities, um, you know, whether it's a call like that, or you know, whether it was um, you know the mechanical failure we had at Iowa or Texas, or you know, there's going to be those instances. Um, but you know, as Chip says before every race, you know, all these races pay the same amount of points. So you know, you can't single out events. It's just how your season went. Yes, you know, you can single out events to, to improve on for next season and, and try and make your fight uh, more worthy. But, um, you know, there's there's things to, to reflect on, uh, to, to use uh, to make yourself stronger or, or the team or, or better. Um, you know, yes, you'll still have those moments where you wake up in the middle of the night and, damn, you know, we, we could have really had that. But, uh you know, we all know how tough racing is and, and uh, you know, how strange things can swing. And, and um, you know, I think we've all been in it long enough to, to understand sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. Okay, great. Well, that's, uh, that's everything I have for you today. Thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck through the rest of the season. Perfect. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
really good of Scott Dixon to give us a few minutes of his time and uh, an outline for us his thoughts on exactly what happened on Sunday. I can't help but get the feeling that there might be a little bit of a witch witch hunt developing. As though um, people are starting to tire a little bit of um, uh, of Bo Barfield's lack of um, consistency, or at least so it's perceived by the drivers. But on the other hand, there were seven penalties on Sunday. <laughs> Whereas you look back to, to Brazil when Taku didn't draw a penalty at all. And that, that, to be honest with you, would be my preference over every single little contact drawing a penalty. Um, but clearly the drivers weren't happy with, with, with the officiating earlier in the season, and clearly Bo has been adjusting his style and the rules to please the drivers, and now they're calling in consistency. Mm-hmm. So I feel, like, I feel yeah. like it's hard for him to win right now. I agree, and there were a few of those incidents on Sunday um, that I, I thought really um, they could have gone without penalty. I think at this point they, they've kind of taken the stance that anytime you make contact with another car and that car spins, the the trailing car is probably going to be penalized. Which was the old way the of Brian- doing things too, and I seem to recall people not being so happy with that either. I hope we're not getting to the point where we're going to have zones on the track that are defined as not passing. Oh, please no. <laughs> please no. But, I, I mean, how many of those incidents were there going into turn seven this week, which is really about the only mm-hmm. – uh, you know, there were some that were obvious. Uh, I can't remember which one. There were a couple that were just blatantly obvious where the guy didn't stop. It seemed like maybe Kanan was involved well, with Well, okay, but just... fine. If the drivers themselves don't know what the rule is, though, then that's where we're running into these problems, right? I would agree. Uh-huh. And, yeah. I mean, we all know how difficult it is to actually – define a proper avoidable contact what's blocking what's defending that sort of thing but it just there is a there is definitely a sense that it's all over the map right now and that there's more there seems to be an attempt to keep people happy as opposed to actually lay down the law so that is disconcerting to say the least well yeah and i can see where race officials i mean let's be honest it doesn't take too much to get the ball rolling uh and, and all of a sudden, your your position is on the line. I mean, if if there is a witch hunt, who are they going to hire? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> who there's, wants well, this there's job? That issue too. Hey, uh, Shane in Australia. How you uh, doing? Shane. Yeah, but but do you remember? I mean, Bo is is. Um, I don't know Bo personally, so I'm trying I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. But he seems more embattled than he did when he took the job. Certainly. And I would hate to see Certainly. that happen to Shane, <laughs> because, because we but, all love Shane. Remember when Bo took the job, though? I mean, he was considered like the golden boy. I mean, he was the top, the best that, that we, anyone was going to get anywhere. Um, so, yeah, it, it, if they're going to chase him out after a year and a half, two years, uh, I have no idea who you put in in that position. Well, the other side and of I don't it, think too, it's fair. Is... I don't think you should be having to replace your your race director, just because uh, an owner or two is unhappy about a few calls. Well, and the other side of it, too, is that Scott was quick to point out in the interview that um, Derek Walker being put um, one rung above uh, Bo is uh, is a positive change, and uh, that uh, Scott was a little more pointed in saying that Derek's way of things is going to start to filter down. Um, but certainly Derek's influence is uh, is going to be highly respected by a lot of people in the paddock and and will give Bo a little bit more of a level footing to stand on I would think and um so that might help his position as long as Derek is pretty quick about about making clear changes fast so there is that possibility true but you know Bo was supposed to be totally respected at the very beginning as well. How long is Derek Walker's honeymoon well, going to Well, that's exactly what I was about to say is I think it was Mike Hull was on the, the I, I, I apologies, I don't remember who co-hosts with Jake Query, but Jake Query of, uh, Derek Schultz. of uh, IMS Radio Network hosts uh, an afternoon radio show in Indianapolis and had Mike Hull on. And I think Mike Hull was the one who said about, about um, Bo Barfield that the honeymoon is over. So... Not what we wanted to hear no. at this stage in the season. 
Um, here's an opinion question for you. Do you see the championship battle as being sullied by this this happenstance? No, I don't think so. Because you know, as Scott said, each race uh, each race pays the same points. So yeah, you can look at this one race and realize that he what did he lose like eight points or something this weekend. I forget what the exact number is. I think he was thirty one and now he's thirty nine points back. Um, but as Scott said, look at some of the other races that they've had this year where they've just had disastrous results. They were out to lunch all day at Indianapolis, both qualifying and during the race. Both he and Dario just started, I guess Dixon didn't start as poor as Dario. Uh, but, you know, through the first at least half of the season, let's say pre-Pocono, you know, that team was, they lost a lot of points in those first, you know, call it eight races or so. So you can't come back and look at this one race and say, you know, we probably would have won the race if, you know, if this or, or the championship if this race goes our way. That's just not fair to do. It's revisionist. You, um, yeah, this is one incident, and it's getting a lot of the, the spotlight for sure. But there are 19 races in this season. It's not just a championship of one race. So Target Chip Ganassi Racing is going to have a lot of opportunities to look back on this season and think of things they could have done different or should have done different or other circumstances that didn't go their way. And, you know, ultimately it can be a game of inches, and they were on the wrong side of the inch this time. You know, it, it's the way it I goes. I guess I was more looking at it from the perspective of, I remember there being a couple of seasons there where by the end of the year everybody was going, race control has been the story of this season, not the drivers. And, and I feel like it was more penalties or non-penalties that decided this championship than the actual performance on track. I don't think we're at that point yet. I just, that, that's my sense. I wanted to see what your sense was because um, I, I was curious to see, I, like, it's a barometer that's interesting to measure back on because it's one that we've been through several times, right? So I just thought to, to ask you, compared to those years when this seemed to happen a lot more often, if it starts to happen more often again, I think we're going to start to have more concerns, but I'm not there yet. I just thought to ask whether you were. Yeah, I would agree. I'd say we're not there yet. Okay. Should we actually talk about some good things? Oh, what good things we have from Sonoma? Crash, 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 crash. Well, we'll power. <laughs> no, there are a lot of good, lot of good stuff coming out of Sonoma that we should be spending a lot yeah. more time. Yeah, how about Will Power getting his first win in uh, in this year? And I think it's been what six, 16 months since he last won a race. Brazil of since, last year. Uh, Sao Paulo, yeah, and would have been May, early May, April of uh, of 2000. I can't remember yeah. ever hearing him so happy on the radio. He was by the time he got out of the car, of course, he was he was somewhat toned down as he tends to be but on the radio he was just absolutely hollering it was awesome he was so excited and it, it's i mean it's that typical thing that everybody says after a driver wins the first race in a while right but it's so good for him to have the monkey off his back i'm sure um and i mean there's you can look at it as as that it was kind of handed to him in a way because of Scott's penalty or, you know, all the all the mayhem that was going on behind him. But he, he mostly stayed out of trouble other than that one incident, which wasn't even truly his. And I got to tell you, from having been there at trackside all weekend, he started to look back to form. Um, when he was in group one in qualifying, the time that he put up was like a half a second faster than anybody else in his group. And it's been a long time yeah. since we said that about Will Power. Well, Will Power's had certainly had the, his number at Sonoma the last few years, ever since his accident there in 2009. Mm -hmm. And he's he's got what now three wins, a couple poles. He's, I mean, he's been really dominant at that track. So it's no surprise to see him come and run so strong there. But you know, the question now is: Is this a kind of a, a one-time blip on the radar, where or is he really? Is the dam going to break now? And we're going to see him back in in unbeatable form as we go to uh, a couple more street course races now over the next three events. Well, the answer to that may lie more in how much technically Penske has advanced relative to Ganassi over the next little while. And keep in mind that we've got a month between Baltimore and Houston for people to do some work. So it'll be interesting to see what develops in that time. So. Um, we may very well see some more out of out of um, some of the other teams once they've had a chance to sort of regroup after uh, after the Ganassi dominance in this portion of the season. You know who else deserves a major shout out? 
I got a few others that'll deserve it. You go first. Justin Wilson gets spun on lap seven by EJ Viso, comes back to finish second. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lap seven. Some nice. Uh, maybe spit. he started seventh and was spun on lap five. Let me check that. Uh, no, that's right. Lap seven. Yeah, you know, the, he he had one point in the middle of the race where I think he had, after he had spun and restarted at the back. I think he had worked his way back up to like second or maybe even in the lead on a restart, and they stayed out on on some pit strategy that could have very easily, on a typical Sonoma race, really come back and bit them. But I think they they were pretty fortunate that there were so many yellows in this race that mm. uh, they were able to really take advantage of that pit strategy, get him back up there, and then he just drove like a bat out of hell a lot, the last half of that race. Uh, there was the was it the last restart or the next to last one where he went, you know, toe to toe with Dario all the way up the hill to, to uh, up there to turn mm. three? And, and I mean, he just he drove kind of like the old Justin Wilson that we saw, where we we used to think he was right there on par with with Will Power. And I mean, he was he was on his game for sure. He definitely had a great run. Okay, who's yours? Well, that was the one I was certainly going to say. Did you have another one? <laughs> uh, you know, certainly I think you want to give a shout-out to James Davison, who had another great run this week for only his um, second week in that car. You know, you don't necessarily expect a, a a driver that's been out of open-wheel competition, or at least this level of open-wheel competition for three or four years, to come and be able to, to put on a show like that at Sonoma. A very, very difficult and, and physical track. He really showed well this Poor weekend. James Davison. I was walking the grid before the race, and there he is at the very back because he had the engine penalty, right? Taking selfies with two of his friends because nobody else was around. <laughs> <laughs> I felt oh. bad for him, but yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was surprised when I, I was doing the stats for our site, and I went through the box score. How does Mario Marco Andretti end up fourth? Mm-hmm. I mean, very very quiet weekend. I they were not no happy with that up. either. After the race, no, I recall no. them. I recall Marco being frustrated with it, and them saying, "You know, you just, just it's there's more to go. Don't worry about it." Um, I was and I was surprised by that because on a, I, you know it wasn't that long ago that fourth would have been a breakthrough weekend for Marco on a road course. Seriously, yeah. So I, I was surprised to see him there, Simon Pagano, in fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just guys that had very quiet weekends, very quiet races. Um, you know, I, I guess a lot of the headlines went to, of course, the Dixon Power incident, but then just the overall amount of of, uh, of chrome hornage, if you will. That and, and those guys happened to find ways to avoid that, drove hard, and wound up with top five finishes. Mm-hmm. Good for them. I thought they had great races. Um, top of the disappointment list uh, has to be Lucas Luer. Really, really tough weekend for him. It was, it was interesting to see him make the transition. And no doubt the fact that, that he was with Sarah, not to, to downplay Sarah Fisher. I mean, it's a, it's a race-winning team. But um, not known for what's on road courses. And being a single-car team has definitely made things difficult for them, and they acknowledge that. So coming into that situation and into um, – uh, a series that he's never run in before. The the team was really on his case to pick up his his pace, and he just wasn't able to find it. And um, I remember him saying at one point on a restart, um, they were saying you got to really get in there and get aggressive. And he was saying, I really have to get used to this aggressiveness because <laughs> I mm-hmm. it's just not something that he's that he's used to. And I mean, let's be honest, he's not used to being challenged. He kind of, he, his team kind of goes untouched in LMP1 and LM, ALMS. So um, definitely, it was uh, it was interesting to see the um, the difficulties and, and the the struggles that he had trying to trying to work his way um, into an IndyCar. Of course, uh, the finishing position doesn't completely tell the story because um, he and jo- Joseph Newgarden both left the race with mechanical issues, but. Um, still, not the the opening weekend in IndyCar that he was hoping for, no doubt. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly don't want to make any um, broad statements about sports car racing versus IndyCar, but I, I think there are a lot of people that, from the outside the IndyCar community, that that think you can just jump right into an IndyCar and all of a sudden 
be successful just because you've been successful on an, on another form of racing. And, you know, maybe on an oval, maybe there are drivers that have that, that natural talent to be able to do that. You know, Carlos Munoz ran very well in his first run in Indianapolis. Um, you know, we, we've seen that before, but I don't think, I don't think, I, I don't think Lewis Hamilton could come in necessarily jump in an IndyCar and, and run at the front his very first weekend in an IndyCar. It's just a different beast. It's a different world. It's a different type of racing. Uh, and I, I think watching what happened to Lucas Lord this weekend really kind of um, highlighted that. Mm-hmm. Okay, are you ready for my rant? Oh, hold on. I got one I'll more. Go. It was great to see a top 10 finish out of Simona De Silvestro this weekend as well. Oh, I hadn't even uh, seen that on the box score. Good for her. She, yes, uh, coming home ninth. She, you know, had expectations were so high for her coming into this season, and and then she had that great run at St. Petersburg to start the year. I think just missing out on the top five in a late race battle with Tony Kanaan. And ever since then, it seems like she's kind of been clawing from behind and really, really struggling to get results. So coming away with a top 10 for her on, on, on this type of weekend was, I think they had a very successful weekend. And Tony Kanaan, her teammate, also ran very well this weekend. Unfortunately, kind of got bit by that that mid-race penalty. Otherwise, I think we would have seen him up closer to a top five as well. Uh, yeah, well, that's interesting because he was really not happy this weekend. Really, really not. Yeah. But, I mean, that might have had as much to do with his sponsorship frustrations as anything else. There was an article on Racer uh, over the weekend by Robin Miller pointing out that um, that Tony is everybody. He's a reigning Indianapolis 500 champion. And everywhere he's trying to go, they're saying, how much money have you got? And he's going, really? Mm-hmm. Come on. So, yeah. anyway. That, that's an interesting read. If you if you can seek that article out as well and go find it, uh, are you ready for my rant now? Fire away. Okay. So here's my issue. Here here to me is problem number one with IndyCar. Okay. So right now, penalty stuff aside, we don't want to focus on the penalty stuff. We want we never want that to be the thing we're talking about after the race, and we no, don't want to dwell on it. We want it to go away. But right now, Dario Franchitti is angry with willpower. Roger Penske is angry with Dario Franchitti. Roger Penske is angry with Marco Andretti. Dario tweeted on Sunday night, everybody's angry at everybody. To see how it all ends up, tune in to NBC Sports Network next Sunday for Baltimore. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's great. Except because IndyCar is the way it is, everybody's going to show up at Baltimore and get mics stuck in their faces. And they're going to go, oh, yeah, we talked it out. We're okay now. IndyCar is just a big family. We all love each other. Nobody stays there for very long, and then and then it's all gonna fizzle out and go away. When will these? Yeah, you when know, we need to people, put last weekend behind yeah, us. Yeah, but when we, will these people understand that they all they all want it to all of IndyCar's headlines to be about how great the on-track product is, and that's great, but it doesn't work that way. There are not enough people who actually understand the on-track product right now or are aware of it and even what a good on-track product consists of to to come in to see that in the first place we need to find ways to get attention on indycar and these kinds of things like roger penske calls dario from a baby which he did i heard it with my own ears (laughs) <laughs> that's a headline that will get mainstream people to look at what's going on. And yet the, all of the, the people in the background are too busy wiping all the surfaces and sanitizing everything that by the time we get to Baltimore, nobody's going to be wanting to talk about it anymore. I, I agree. And, you know, you know, I, I have great respect for, for, for Amy Conrath and Arnie and the rest of the folks in the IndyCar PR and the, and you know, certainly the folks like Kelby Krauss at, at Target and, and Merrill Kane at Penske and these PR people that do great work. But Derek Walker gave you a golden egg the other day when he basically came out and said, hey, Dario, shut up. This is The fans like it. Quit whining. Get on with it. Or, you know, basically you know, stop your crying. This is the president of competition of IndyCar basically taking a swipe at at, at a driver. So, in my opinion, that's saying, hey, the gloves are off. If the president of IndyCar can take a swipe at a driver, (laughs) 
You would think a, one driver could go at another driver. You'd think a team owner could go at another team owner. These things shouldn't necessarily, like you said, they don't need to be swept under the rug and, and forgotten about. Let's put them on the front page. These are the kinds of things you know, that casual fans or people who aren't even casual fans yet can relate to. They can't right. relate to, oh, you know, we did three stints on, on scuffed reds because the blacks sucked this weekend. They don't know what that means. They know right. what Dario Franchitti and Will Power are constantly at each other's throats means. And they will they will right. be interested in that, and they will get them invested and in wanting to learn more. And that's the concept that nobody in the sport seems to understand, and it drives me nuts. Agreed. And, and let, not to get back on beating this dead horse again and, and talking about the, the, the Dixon power incident, but from what I've heard, that made the NBC Today show, it made something on Fox News, maybe like the Hannity show or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, you're talking tens of millions of viewers, probably, well, okay, maybe not that many. I mean, certainly in the multiples of millions of viewers on each of those that are probably seeing this, and at some point they're probably, huh, wonder what's it? Some small percentage. If you're talking a couple hundred thousand people that go and, and, and want to say, "Hey, that's more than oh, half God. of NBC's audience from last weekend." Well, there you go. <laughs> exactly. You know, if if any of these people want to go follow up on what happens, what's the fallout of of this? You know, very dramatic looking incident. And they come in next week and they go, "Oh yeah, you know, it's too bad that happened, but we just put it behind us now. We, we got to go on and focus to this weekend." Click. Exactly. Well, that wasn't very exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Stop squelching their emotions. Yes. That's the that's the upshot yes. of it. But I I, I was going to write a column about it, but I've been screaming this for years and it's nothing new. So. If you drive a car 230 miles an hour and you have no emotion, Some, I don't know that I would necessarily jump in to follow you if I was just a casual passing by fan either. Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of the tires, though, that I mentioned, there actually was a lot of interesting stuff about the tires this weekend. Did you look at the tire use chart? The tire, I had, no. the tire use chart. No, of course you didn't. You never look at any of that stuff. The, the tire use chart is in with all the post-race reports that you can find. Um, the Baltimore event summary is the one that's at morefrontwing.com slash event summary now because we've moved on. But if you go to the event summary drop-down at the top left of the of the page, uh, the, the home page, um, you can go into the list of event summaries and you can find the, um, the Sonoma event summary. It's the second one down. And if you go to the reports at the top, you'll find the tire use chart. And I found it really, really interesting because people were just in a blazing hurry to get off the blacks this weekend. That had been reported all weekend long that you know, the blacks here were really – they brought the same them, compound. Like as little as eight laps before they were they dove in right at the beginning to get off of them. And some people must have yeah. set reds for the whole weekend, hinged in four stints, and three of them were on red tires. Yeah. So he must have mm-hmm. reused at least once that they used qualifying. Rather than use the yeah. blacks, I just found that mm-hmm. so interesting that they were so off because these are the barber spec tires, right? I mean, it's not like they've never used right. them before. I think they've used them at every road course this year. I just found it fascinating that they were so different here as opposed to everywhere else. Well, it wasn't the tires that were different; it was the track that's so dramatically different. You know, barber is a, a, a much newer surface, and they ground it this year, so it's a very, very sticky surface this year. At, at Barber, which is why I think we saw the lap times there drop by, what, three and a half seconds or something like that. Um, the Sonoma surface on its own is very slick. And then you take into, a fact, into account the fact that, you know, half of the turns are getting covered in dust because guys are driving off course and kicking dirt back on Did you see track. Justin Wilson's quote about that? That was great. Yeah. He was, what was he, Scott Dixon's said, personal track yeah. cleaner? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it you know, it was an issue all weekend long. I think a lot – was it Marshall Pruitt that had written the article on Friday, I think, right as soon as practice started, saying, hey, there's an issue here. And, you know, they made they, they have no idea how long these red tires are, or the black tires are going to last during the, during the race weekend. They said they were getting, you know, two or three laps of, of good times on the blacks, and then they were dropping off very quickly by like two and a half seconds or something like that. Um, Well, it showed because because at the end of the day, yeah, there were people just not wanting to sit on them very long at all. So 
But then you had the red tires that had no problem lasting the full Which spin. is bizarre. You would think it would be the yeah. other way around. And you would Which think is really that Firestone too. would know better and would have brought a new tire. Is it, huh, I wonder if I just hit on a on a sign there that maybe Firestone isn't, isn't putting as much into development as they used to. Because there was a time when they would have brought a new spec tire in anticipation of that problem. Well, they certainly have, um, how do I say, uh, reduced their customization. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's, you know, they they use the Sonoma and Barber as the same spec. They use the same street course tire for everything. Is it every? Yeah, I, I did up the Baltimore to... event summary today, and it's the same street, the same tire they've used on every street course this year, and it says so in the release. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it used to be that they would put a, a different tire together. Um, it's like they know, just I, decided I, that they have a street course tire and a road course tire and an oval tire, and that's the way it's going to be, and it never used to be that way. Right. I think their oval tires maybe are still fairly customizable, but even those are. You read through these Firestone releases, and they're, they're they're they constantly are saying this is the same spec that I think Indianapolis and Texas of all places use the same ones, and then maybe uh, so they, sorry they have a short oval tire and a and a super speedway tire then. Yeah, it could yeah. be. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah, they certainly used to bring almost a, a new tire to every race. You know, are they cutting back development? Well, they're committed to IndyCar to at least the top level series through 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, the news came out, was it this weekend, that they will no longer be associated with the Indy Lights yeah. series. So I, I don't know that they were throwing a whole lot of money to supporting the Indy Lights series. But, well, Dan Anderson you know, told John Lingle in an interview on it for our site earlier this week that they were throwing no money into the series. Their titles, hmm. All their titles, title sponsorship on Indy Lights really was was offering a discount, discounted tire. They weren't activating to, to the teams. To the Indy Lights yeah. teams? Hmm. So that, just take that for what that's worth. Well, they got a uh, they got their huge bump in revenue Was it starting in 2012. Well, that's they what were I was supposed to be gone after 11. I wonder if that's if that coincided with them threatening to leave because their costs were getting too high. I'm trying to put the timing together. It probably did. Yeah, I must be a cost cutting measure. I think Randy Bernard had somehow got them to commit through. I can't remember if the original one was through 13 or 14, and then I think it just came out this mm-hmm. year that they would stay through 18. Right. So. Uh, anyway, one more little quick tidbit that I dug up through the weekend and put in a live blog. Um, by the way, if you haven't seen the live blogs yet, there are three pages of live blogs, one for each day that I uh, completed right from trackside to the GoPro Grand Prix of Sonoma. Had an absolute blast. I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, but in the silly season, the one domino that everybody is really truly waiting to fall before anything else can get decided is James Hinchcliffe. I don't think that's a big secret. He ain't not talking. I, I tried every which way from Sunday to get him to tell me something because I was on assignment. That was the one assignment that I got from my editor at the start this weekend is get what you can from Hinch. I said, okay. So I went and found Hinch and I was like, tell me something. He's like, no, I just can't. Like there's. I thought you Torontonians were all tight. I thought you could break them. You got like this secret handshake. I did the secret handshake. I got nothing. 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 He is not talking. And he's, you know what? I got to tell you something. I haven't worked with James all that long, so I can't say that I know him super well. But my sense was that he's not happy. Really? Yeah. I don't know what's not happy at at Andretti. No, I don't think it's that. I think it's, that he's just not feeling super confident right now in in how things are going to end up. I am speculating here, 100% speculating. I want to qualify that right now. But based on what I saw from James, and I did talk to Michael Andretti as well, and that's what I eventually put together into a story, was that Michael told me, James wants to be here. We want him to be here. We're just going to have to wait a couple of weeks for all the contracts to come together before we'll be able to say anything. Um, And my sense from talking to James and talking to Michael is that the, the big, big question mark appears to be GoDaddy. And whether they're going to have yeah. the money or whether they're going to want to give the money. So I think that, that that's the the thing that they're waiting to settle, and then they're going to see what happens from there. So, uh, But 
my my gut feeling is that the news on that front is not great. But I could I could end up being totally wrong on that. Like I said, I have absolutely nothing to base that on other than gut feeling. Uh, the one thing that Michael did tell me that was interesting, because I asked about uh, Juan Montoya and all the stories about that and whether if that plays out and Juan does come back to IndyCar, does that affect in any way the, um, whether James would, would come back to the team? And he said no. Those are completely separate deals. So take that for what that's worth. So they're going to try to get Juan and James. And yeah, I guess they're going to be like an eight-car team next year. <laughs> And hopefully Carlos Munoz wants a spot there. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think Carlos is already signed to move up, isn't he? Um, that I don't know. I thought he was. So, um, let's talk about being trackside at Sonoma Raceway. Holy cow. I was expecting, actually, to come on the podcast and totally pull them in Ohio, right? Like, I know it's boring, but you have to go to understand and appreciate this racetrack. And this year's race wasn't even boring, but you still, you have to go and and be there to understand and appreciate this racetrack. It is in, um, like, one of the most gorgeous areas of the country. I swear I was going over hills and around curves on the interstate coming up to, it wasn't interstate, it was California 101, State 101 or something like that, coming up to uh, Sonoma County, and I was, every time I crested a hill, the first time I drove up there, I was like, oh my gosh, this is gorgeous, um, and I stayed, it's a gorgeous it facility. is a gorgeous facility, and I stayed with Bash in downtown San Francisco as well, and I drove up from there every day, so every day I'm crossing the Golden Gate Bridge, going up through the hills, over the water, you know, it's a, it, like, it was just stupidly spectacular. Um, and then you get onto California Route 37, and after you come onto that, and uh, there's this big bridge that goes over sort of a swampy area, and at the front of the bridge it says entering Sonoma County, and then you go over this bridge, and as you get to the top of the, the bridge, you can see the back of the hill that the raceway is set on on the other side. And it's just like this expanse of foothills and and little tiny lakes and the sun is shining because it's California and the sun never doesn't shine. And it's just like, oh, I loved it. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say the sun never shines in, in San Francisco? What? Did you just say the sun did I, always shines? Yeah. Is, did I say that wrong? Or are you being sarcastic? <laughs> I was being yes, sarcastic. Yes, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> and the raceway is beautiful. And I said this in a live blog at the time, but there is no shot on video or photograph that will ever give you a really true appreciation of how dramatic the elevation changes are at this place. Like, they're literally driving up and down the side of a hill. And when you when mm. they go up that, that hill into turn one, it's amazing. Like I thought I knew hills, but this that place is is pretty serious. And that's why you can sit at the top of turn two or at the top of turn seven and see almost the entire track. So it's almost Edmonton y in a way, but not because it's not flat. Is it's awesome. I highly recommend that everybody go to that track at least once. It's an expensive trip, which is it's really unfortunate because from flying over there from this from the east side of the country, you're you're looking at. I pulled it off for for a little under seven hundred coming from Toronto, but that took some some airline airline fare trickery. Uh, I think if you wanted to go direct and and you know travel at decent times and not mess around with different airports and stuff, you're probably looking at closer to eight hundred to a thousand um, just for the flight, and then you got to pay for the hotel in Sonoma County and. Uh, so it, it adds up quickly, but it definitely put it on your bucket list to do at least once. It's it's absolutely worth it, and I I will stop raving about it now and and disappointing people because I've sold it up too much. But I, like I cannot wait to go back. I, this is already on my list for next year. So I'm going to Fontana. <laughs> I hate Los Angeles. I'm sorry to anybody who's from Los Angeles. It's really not my favorite place in the world. It's, yes, there. Uh, the, the track is located next to a very lovely steel mill. <laughs> well, that's all. Yeah, there are there are definitely <laughs> that the tracks are great, but they're not located in the best area. 
This is not one of them. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a like a touristy race trip, go to Sonoma. That's my take. One more thing that I want to mention before we move on from Sonoma, and this is something that's really, really important. All of our coverage this weekend from the podcast beforehand all the way through the weekend right up until now has been in support of the Indianapolis chapter of Greyhound Pets of America. We have um, been really, really grateful for all the people who who have offered them some donations and support over the weekend. If you've, if you've enjoyed our coverage of the race, please consider visiting them at gpaindy.org and offering them a donation. They make it very easy to do online, and it would be really helpful to them and to us and to our sponsor, to whom we are extremely grateful for the opportunity. If it wasn't for him and uh, his willingness to put this program together, we would not have been there track site at all so please do shoot them uh, a few dollars of uh, of gratitude if you don't mind and if you can and uh, we would certainly be be grateful ourselves if you uh, would take a moment to do that and we do have more exciting uh, uh installations I we guess, do. yes we, we unfortunately uh, couldn't get somebody together to go to baltimore quickly enough for the for this program um, I'm booked to work at uh, the Canadian Tire Motorsport Park next weekend to cover the NASCAR Truck Series, um, which don't tell my editor I said this, but I'd really rather be in Baltimore <laughs> because there's going to be so much going on in Baltimore. But um, yeah, so I'm already booked to work that, and Paul had personal commitments, so unfortunately we couldn't get anybody out for Baltimore. But when we get to Houston, man, we got some really fun stuff lined up and some. Uh, Cannot wait for that. That is, uh, let's let, let's just tease and just say that the IndyCar community is is so gracious in their support of things that that happen in and around the community and and uh, what we'll be doing for Baltimore is really sorry, really Houston. cool. We are so Houston. Houston. Sorry, Houston. We're not doing anything for Baltimore. We're not doing Baltimore. <laughs> when we get to Houston, which is like I don't know, like ten weeks away or something like that this Next. weekend. <laughs> A long way away, it feels like, unfortunately. But when we get there, we have such a cool promotion that we cannot wait to talk about when we get closer to it's that It's going to be awesome. So keep an eye out for it. We're very, very excited for this whole program that's going to carry us through to the end of the season. So should we look ahead um, more short-term now to Baltimore? The one question that we've been getting so far is, uh, is the chicane still there or did they fix up Pratt Street? No, they did not fix up Pratt Street. The chicane is still there right along with a, a nice little uh, grandstand of its own. <laughs> so I would assume that it's going to be at least somewhat permanent. Um, and that's about the only change track-wise from the look of things. They are running with the ALMS this weekend. So the uh, the Saturday events wrap up pretty early. I think qualifying is done by a little bit afternoon so that they can have things uh, set up for the ALMS race on Saturday afternoon. Um, and so we have a couple of changes in the entry list as well. Now, this is an interesting one because um, Oriol Serbia is being confirmed to be in the car with Panther for the rest of the year. And we know that Ryan Briscoe is um, running the ALMS race in Baltimore uh, for Level 5 Motorsport. Might have been that he was going to consider doing the double that weekend um, if it wasn't for the wrist injury, but I guess that he decided that with the wrist injury it would have been too much too risky or he may have been told that um which is given he's a racer the more likely situation um and so yeah it's interesting right pocono he had no problem bouncing back between pocono and and i think lime rock that weekend to run that double header but you know when they're together at the same track it doesn't work out well i presume that 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 was under doctor's orders that he's not allowed to do that so um so it is or and as well the member that pocono also had the test day on a couple of days beforehand, so he really got a full day of testing. It would be very difficult for him to go back and forth within the same day, particularly on that Friday. Maybe, but uh, but the, Ryan Hunter Ray's done it before. Ryan Hunter Ray has done yeah. IndyCar and Grand Am split weekends before. Yeah, really? I remember he did Homestead 2009. He ran both. Oh, I do kind of remember. Yeah, that. I think he's done it since too. It's hmm. not. I mean, it's it's hard. Don't get me wrong. Race being a race driver is always hard. It's physically challenging, um, but it's not impossible. I think I think it's just the the injury is the barrier in this case. In fact, I've seen to recall Ryan having said earlier in the season that he would he would have liked to have done both, but circumstances do not seem to allow for it in this case. But that being said, we do know that Oriole is in the car for the rest of the year. 
We also know that John Barnes told, I think it was Marshall Pruitt um, in Sonoma, that he knows who his driver is going to be next year, but he can't tell us who yet. And so hmm. everybody, is, everybody in Sonoma was saying, oh, it's Ryan, it's Briscoe, it's Briscoe, it's Briscoe. But now you're kind of going, hmm, Serbia for the rest of the year, huh? Maybe not. Hmm. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I, I still feel like Briscoe's. They were so excited to get him back and so pleased with the results today. They got with him, got ten with him before the injury. You know, when 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 John Barnes had said that, it just really felt like Briscoe was the guy that they had their eye on, and they really wanted him. You know, the rest of the year, if they could have gotten him. That's what I thought, too. But, I mean, I yeah. guess we'll know soon enough. Uh, the other re- driver replacement is uh, Stefan Wilson making his IndyCar debut. He'll be able to call himself an IndyCar driver after this weekend in the number 18. And he's going to be teammates with his big bro, Justin Wilson, at Dale Coyne Racing. So that's a very exciting weekend for them, no doubt. Um, you're the stats guy, and I have a feeling that this is the case. But is this the first time that the two brothers have ever been teammates in an IndyCar? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So... I like those fun little facts when they come up. It's fun. Okay, who you got? Who's going to win it? Oh, jeez, you're putting me on the spot. You should expect uh, this by now. I know, I know. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just think he's still too strong. I think he, he's coming back from a tough weekend last weekend. I'm going to ride the hot streak while he can and go with Dixon again. It's hard to bet against Ganassi at all right now, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Funny, because I'm going to have to go with my gut, because in my head I had Ryan hunter Ray, And that might just be because he won last year, and so his name is stuck in my head. But I don't have any, any factual basis or any, any you know. Well, here here's a, a, a stat I ran across today. Or I, I, I think I saw it on Twitter. I don't even remember who it was. That I'll give you a backup for your stat there. Andretti Sports Marketing has promoted three races. Hmm. Two at Milwaukee and last year at Baltimore. All three of those races right. won by Ryan Hunter. There winning. you go. And there's also a yellow party in Baltimore this weekend. So there maybe Ryan's going to have a good weekend. Let's hope yeah. so. Here's another um, question that I'm going to put to you. And this one I am putting you on the spot on. Uh, but I thought it was an interesting one. So let's see what you think. We have had so many new or so many different winners this year, and several of them have been new winners, first-time winners. Uh, is there room for another different winner in 2013? Are we going to see one more? Another different or another, another different new winner? winner. I, I think Dario is going to win. I think he'll win one of these races. You know, they're they're coming on strong. They seem to have whatever Gremlins uh, knocked out that they had before. Um, and then beyond Dario, now I got to go to the list and see who hasn't even won yeah. yet this year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Wilson, Justin yeah, Wilson, win again. Yeah, that was the next name I was going to come up with too. You stole my uh-huh. whole answer. Now I have nothing interesting to say. Um, what about Marco? That, wouldn't it be crazy if Marco won one? We could still have Ed at Fontana too. I I think Marco, you really have to consider him strong at Fontana. He mm-hmm. was so dominant at. At Pocono, and I think if Pocono had gone 500 miles, I still think that was his race to win, uh, to kind of toss out the fuel mileage race. So I think you know he's going to be the odds-on favorite. I think going into Fontana, um, you look at who else. Sebastian Bourdais was so strong at Toronto. Right, but he hasn't really had see. anything since. He ran well the next weekend at uh, Mid Ohio. Uh, Ohio. Yeah, like it was had, okay, but it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. But I think when you get him back on the on the tight, twisty, technical street courses at Baltimore and at Houston, I think I think he'll be uh, he'll look good again. Uh, beyond that, I don't see much. In the, I mean, Ed Carpenter obviously is someone who's going to be a threat at at Fontana as well. Um, I would say those are your your last four. If you if you have a new winner, they're going to come from those four. I think you're stretching a little far to say. Um to say Sebastian, but other than that, I agree with you. Well, I just I think don't think that team is quite time. ready to put it into a win. I don't think I don't think it's it's going to happen. But 
You don't think with another... Please prove me wrong. I would love it if, if Sebastian would, would win. That would get some attention. People love to hate Sebastian. <laughs> he doesn't drop the trophy. <laughs> or have it fall off or whatever the rule or the uh It fell off. It was just a little, a little plank. It wasn't nailed on or anything. So Still off. that picture that picture of Marshall Pruitt. This is one of my favorite pictures of the year of of his expression and, and Dario kind of jumping yeah. out of the <laughs> anyway i think we've covered i think we've actually managed to cover everything can you think of it i think so i'm sure we missed um, something because there was just so much this week but um we will we'll be back obviously next week to talk about baltimore so if we missed anything glaring then we can do it then we'll get it then absolutely so we are uh, out of here and we'll be back as i said next weekend to cover all of the happenings that are no doubt going to transpire at the grand prix of baltimore brought to you by srt and let's hope that some of them involve some drama as we discussed earlier and not people saying oh we're just a big family <laughs> yes. all right that would be fantastic. it really would so let's call it a day and see what happens and in the meantime if you need indycar news and views get a grip with more front wing <laughs>